It's good to see everybody. It's good to see everybody here. I love seeing y'all faces. Worship team, that was amazing. I feel the anointing up here so strong right now. Donna has the anointing all over this microphone. <laughs> How about LSU? How about the Saints? Come on. We got a couple people representing. LSU beat the Texas Longhorns last week. The Saints. How about the Saints game? Tonight, the LSU's playing Northwestern Demons, but we're going to deal with some demons and some giants in here tonight in Jesus' name. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just give you this service. Lord God, that you, we know that you're here. We feel your presence here already. We ask that you open our ears, our hearts, our minds to receive and apply it to our lives, Lord God. Lord, transform us into giant killers tonight in Jesus' name. Speaking of the Texas Longhorns, I don't believe in giving longhorn sermons. Does anybody know what a longhorn sermon is? That's two points and a lot of bull in between. But we're going to cut the bull out tonight. We're going to go to the two points. If you got your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 20. We're going to slay some giants tonight. Hallelujah. This, this was... We all know this story. This is about David and Goliath, but it's so much more than a story. And we just, what I want to do is highlight some verses and highlight some things in these verses, and then we'll go on and get into the meat of the sermon. But in, in verse 20, it says, So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. In verse 21, For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. The words going out and drawing up means that they were in dugout trenches and they were coming out up of the, from these dugout trenches and they were shouting. And David had got here just at the time when the two armies were coming together probably more so than they had been over the past 40 days that they were at odds. Verse 22 says, and, and, and this, this really jumped out of me, at me. This, this is part of the story that I'd never seen before. Just as Donna says, you read things, you read things, you hear things, you see the cartoons about David and Goliath when you're growing up, you hear the stories. But it's just some things that never really pop out at you until an appointed time. In verse 22, it says, And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words that he had been speaking for the past 40 days, defying the God of Israel. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him directly and were afraid. You see, David fled from Goliath. David was with the army. Goliath didn't have a megaphone and a microphone. He was in voice distance. He was within a hundred yards where David could hear everything that was being said. David was with the army. He was with his brothers. He was with the troops. And when Goliath came out onto the field, it says, all of the men of Israel who saw him fled. So David actually fled first from Goliath. David, you see, was a lion killer and he was a bear killer, but he wasn't a giant killer yet. Something changed inside of David. Something took place inside of David. Something may have been always on the inside of David, but it may have just took long to come out. But I want that same change that took place in David to change inside of us tonight. I want that same change to propel us into becoming the profile of a giant slayer, into taking the victory. We're going to be transformed into warriors. We're going to be victorious over the giants that are in our lives, just as David was transformed. Let's go on into verse 25. 
It's time to lay some giants that have been tormenting and teasing us down and cut their heads off. And they're going to fall face first in Jesus' name. Verse 25 says, So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches, will give him what is his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be for the, done for the man who kills him. You see, David said, Wait, what? David said, What shall be done? What did you say? It shocked David. The reward. He said, The king said, You will not only have riches, but you will have great riches. And you'll marry the you you'll have the king's daughter. You'll be able to date her, you'll be able to marry or take her home with you, the king's daughter. And your father's household, not just your household, but all of your family can live tax exempt. Tax exempt. Kingdom living. And David said, Wait, what? So he asked the question, all the people said it again. And then Further down in verse 30, he even asked it again to another group of people that was standing next to him. What did he say? What did he say? He wanted to make sure he heard. You see, at this time, I don't even think David prayed. I don't even think David was considering in his heart, should I go, shouldn't I go, should I go kill this Goliath? He had already made up his mind that he was a giant slayer at this point. He had already made up his mind that he was going in and going to take the head off of that giant. And one more verse I want to highlight. Verse 36. It says, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. You see, tonight I want to talk to you about the profile of a giant killer. What does it take to be a giant killer? What does it take to be a giant slayer? What changed on the inside of David that made him transform from running from a giant to running to a giant? What changed on the inside of him? This story is so much more than just a historical story about David and Goliath. There's so much meat in this story that we can glean from, that we can learn from, because you see, this story represents what each one of us in this room are going through. This story represents the problems in our life, the giants that are in our life, the traps and the pitfalls that the devil would put in front of us to keep us from becoming who we're called to be in Jesus. The problems with giants in our life are that they prevent us from receiving the promises and provisions of God. The problems or that they cause us to forego the freedom that God had originally intended us to live in. The problem with the giants is that they lure us into losing the abundant life that God plans for us. Just as Donna said in Jeremiah 29, 11, the thoughts I think toward you are for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God never intended us to live in a promised land filled with giants. God never intended us to live in a land filled with traps and troubles and tests and trials. Yes, we're going to go through trials. We're going to go through tests. But God made us more than conquerors. He made us more than overcomers because he's a God that exceeds and goes above all and beyond all that we can ever ask or think. So the bullying stops here tonight. The giants stop here tonight. Tonight we're going to take our position and we're going to stand strong as who God created us to be and we're going to stand against the giants and cut them low and cut their heads off as they fall down. We're going to take back the life that God prepared us to have. Gigantic problems, unusual dilemmas, overwhelming crises 
in circumstances and situations in our life. For some people, it's addictions. For some people, it's depression. For some people, it's unmanageable debt, living check to check and paycheck to paycheck. For some people, it's a child or a teenager or a grandchild that you don't know what they're going to do next. And every Friday night, you're worried about if the cops are going to call or who's going to come or what's going to happen or the phone calls that you get late at night. For some, it's the giant of fighting for your dream or for your own business because you've had challenges in the workplace and you're unable to fulfill the call of God in your life and there's a giant in front of you. For some, it could be the giant of fear and intimidation. And this is all giants that we fight. This is all giants that we face. Giants are real. And in this story, we have the profile of a giant killer. We have what it takes to remove these giants from our life because God didn't intend for us to live with them. God intended for us to get them out of the way. So what I'm going to teach you tonight relates to your life. And if you'll line up to what the Word of God says and the Word of God shows us in this story, God will begin to fight your battles. God will begin to remove those giants. And God will give you the victory over the giants in your life. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 3 I want to give you just a couple scriptures that God gave me while I was studying this it says and he shall say to them now this was God speaking to Israel but this is God speaking to us tonight he said hear O Israel today you are on the verge of the battle with your enemies do not let your heart faint do not be afraid do not tremble and be terrified because of them for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. And David knew this. David knew it wasn't him. It was God going with him to fight against Goliath. Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's get that perspective. Let's get the perspective of if God is with me, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Why should we be afraid of anything that comes against us? God's saying, don't worry. God's speaking to somebody right now and saying, don't worry. I have your back. I got your back. Back in verse 20, the first thing I seen in verse 20, verse 20 said, so David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse commanded him. You see, the Bible said that the father told David to go and to deliver sandwiches and cheese to the fighters on the field. But if you remember right, in the chapter right before 1 Samuel chapter 17, David was just anointed to be king of Israel. He was just anointed. So the first thing he did was he obeyed the command of his father, the Bible says. And he took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. You see, the first thing a giant killer does is he submits to authority. And this is my first point that I want to make. Giant killers are submitted to authority. They never get too big-headed to submit themselves under authority. If we have a problem submitting to authority, then we have a severe issue. We have a severe character flaw that needs to be addressed. If we have problems submitting to authority, I've seen it in people. I've seen it in the workplace. I've seen it in church. I've seen it in the public, in the community. I've seen it in my own children. I went pick up two boys one time. They were standing under an eave of a house, of a flea market. It was pouring down rain. They had been living on the streets for three days. They were hungry. They were soaking wet, and they were broke. They were in a bad place. And as I picked them up, I said, come on, let's go to McDonald's, we'll dry off, we'll get something to eat, and we'll talk. And, and as we were driving, God gave me a word for him. He said, three R's, before he even gave me the word. And I said, three R's, what is three R's? He said, respect authority, repent, and do right in the eyes of man and of God. And I gave that word to those guys. I said, guys, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, have any decision you made lately been a good one 
They said, oh, no. They said, we hadn't made many good decisions lately. And I said, well, how many of them did you pray about? How many of them did you involve God about? Because, you see, you got to submit to the authority that's in front of you. you got to submit to the authority of the word of God. So I gave them the word. I said, if you respect authority, that's number one. With man, you have to respect your boss at work. You have to respect spiritual authority that God puts in front of you. So in this case, David submitted to his father. David could have said, do you know who you're addressing? I'm going to be the next king of Israel. He could have said, this job is too little for me. I want to do important jobs. But you know, a man who's too, little, too big to do little things is too little to ever do big things. A man who is too big to do the little things is too little to ever do the big things. So many people want to be the chandelier in God's living room, but never want to be the light in the hallway. So many people want to be the chandelier in God's living room, but never want to be the nightlight in God's hallway. But it's the nightlight in God's hallway that's helped so many people from stubbing their toe that the chandelier will never help. Chandeliers are big and beautiful, but they don't put out efficient light. But the nightlight in the hallway is where it needs to be to help people. And as I was studying this, God told me, it was my prayer in my heart. It's, I said, God, I want to be used by you, not seen by men. Our prayer needs to be, God, I want to be used by you. It doesn't matter where I'm being used at. It could be in the back of church cutting grass. It could be scrubbing the toilets in the bathroom. It could be here giving a word. It's all the same. We serve in the kingdom. We're submitted to authority. God places people in our life to humble us so that we submit to authority. We have to submit to pastors, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, all throughout our life. We call them mentors, but sometimes we call them tormentors <laughs> because sometimes they torment us. You see, their job is not to, to make us feel good. Their job is not to say, oh, you look beautiful. You're doing a great job. Their not, job is not to puff us up. Their job is to tweak us in line sometimes, and we have to respect that, but so many people stop at that. There's two ways that people learn in life. Some people learn by their mistakes. And some people learn through the wisdom of their mentors. Some people don't learn from their mistakes and keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Lord, help them. But my daughter told me one time, she says, Dad, I learned from the mistakes my brothers made. She's going to be smart. You know, <laughs> she's going to be good. And, and they, they do too. They take a lot of wisdom now that the, as they're older, as I tried to say, look, that's not a good decision. That's not a good decision. And now they're listening. When they were younger, I think they learned by the mistakes. But they did learn, and they're getting there. So mentors, we have to have spiritual authority in our lives. Spiritual authority in our lives are for three reasons and three purposes. It releases the provision of God in our life. Spiritual authority releases the provision of God in our life. Spiritual authority releases the protection of God in our life. He protects us from making the bad decisions. He protects us from the enemy that would try to come and attack us. He may give us insight on what's coming around the bend of the road. The third thing is spiritual authority promotes us. It gives us promotion. It brings us to the next level. Just as Donna's going to be talking in the next couple weeks about, I think, about the process. Spiritual authority promotes us in the process and the plans and purposes of God. As we grow in life, it's more important that we learn from spiritual mentors because as we take on responsibility, as we become fathers and mothers and husbands and wives, we have people that rely on us. So the mistakes we made have, make have ramifications that not only affect us, but they begin to affect others around us. So as we grow in life, as we get older, as we mature, we have to be more careful to to heed to the advice from the mentors that are around us and in our life. We need to seek out mentors 
godly mentors, godly people that can speak into our life. The second point I want to make in verse 20, we can put verse 20 up again. It says, David rose up early in the morning. David rose up early in the morning. Giant killers have to be disciplined. They have to have discipline in their lives. If we can't get discipline in our lives, then we'll never efficiently get the giants out of our lives. He got up early in the morning. Sometimes we have to get up early in the morning when it's quiet. We have to read our Bible just as Donna was saying, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. That's one of my favorite scriptures as well. But it so much is. But we have to get up and we have to read his word. We have to study his word. We have to pray. We have to do devotions. So many times when I've came up and I've ministered to people, God would tell me, tell them to seek me in the quiet times. And I would give them that word. God's saying, seek him in the quiet times. Because our life gets so busy. Our life is full of all kind of chaos and noise and things and cares of this world and deceits of this world. And just as in the parable of the seeds that were sown this seed was sown on good ground and it came up, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the world came up and choked it just like thorns around it. We have to hear God early in the morning. We have to seek God early in the morning. We have to discipline our lives and read our word. Dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. Huh? Huh? Dusty Bibles. Dust your Bible off. Dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. We've got to seek God. We have to get the word. I have 150 verses that I read every time I'm on a plane, every time I'm in the hotel room, every, not when I'm driving, but <laughs> okay, sometimes. But we have to get the word, not only read the word and do devotions and study the word, but we have to memorize the word because we have to have that rock in our bag. We have to have that. So the Bible says that they came up and they went out. So giant killers are submitted to authority. They're disciplined. And they came up out of the low places. It says they came up and they went out shouting. They came up out of the low places. Here's the deal. Isn't it interesting that when you're at the lowest point of your life, sometimes you face the biggest giants? Sometimes when you're at the lowest point of your life, you're facing the biggest giants. You see, they were in the trenches. They were in the dugout places. And when Goliath came out on the field, Goliath was nine foot nine inches tall. When he came out on the field, he looked like he was 15 foot tall. When we're in the lowest places, the giants look so big. But we have to rise up. We have to get up. We have to get up to where God sees and get the perspective that God has on the problem and situations in our life because God doesn't see that giant as big. The snap of his fingers, God can remove those giants. And God's going to remove the giants out of our life tonight. God showed me chains breaking off, chains falling. As I'm preaching tonight, chains are being broken. Giants have fallen. Things that you've struggled with, circumstances, situations, problems, tests, trials, Traps from the enemy are falling tonight. But we have to rise up. We have to get up. As a giant killer, you can have a bad day. You can have a, a, a bad thought. You can feel bad. You can feel sorry for yourself. But as a father, as a mother, as a, a wife, as a husband, you got to get up. You got to get up. I'm preaching to somebody tonight. There's a get up spirit in here. We have to get up in our conscience, our conscience. We have to get up in our confession. We have to get up in our expectations. We have to get up in our praise. We have to get up. When you're down and looking low and feeling bad and the enemy seems so big, we have to get in a place where we see the giant from God's perspective. Because God's all-powerful and all-knowing. Just as I said in the sermon last week, the lady went to a preacher at the end of the sermon and she said, do we even pray for the big things, the small things, or do we pray for just the big things? She asked this to the preacher. And the preacher said, ma'am, 
Do you think there's anything in your life that's big for God? Is there any giant in our life that's too big that God can't handle? We have a body of brothers and sisters here tonight that's defeated giants, that's went through situations and circumstances, that can say, God's done that for me. He can do that for you too. He can do that for you too. God's going to do that for us. Look at your neighbor and say, thank God we're coming up. We're coming up. So the next thing they hap that happened as they came up out of the trenches, as they came up out of the dugout, they shouted. They opened their mouth and shouted. And this is important because Goliath had been talking trash for 40 days. He had been defying the armies of God for 40 days. But giant killers can't be silent. I've never seen a, science, a silent giant killer. We have to lift up our voices. If we're going to take nations, if we're going to take cities, if we're going to fight for our families, then we have to open our mouths and we have to say something and we have to shout and proclaim the word of the Lord. We have to proclaim it into our families. We have to proclaim it over ourselves. And we have to take back what the enemy's stolen. If we're sitting in our recliner, men, if you're sitting in your recliner and watching TV and your daughter's fixing to walk outside on a date and she walks past in front of you with a mini, 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 mini skirt and a biblical blouse. Biblical blouse means it's lo and behold. You're going to say something. You're going to say, whoa, hold up. Wait up. Wait up. Let's go back in and let's try this again, baby. Go back into your room. And then if the guy comes to the door and he's sitting in the car, sitting on the horn for your daughter, you're going to go out to the car and say, you coming to date my daughter? She got a daddy. So we're going to say something. We're going to say something. It's important that men open up their mouths. It's important that women, I thank God for the women in church because they keep church alive. But the men, when the men begin to praise God, when the men begin to step up into their place, there's a spirit of praise and there's a spirit of anointing that comes upon them and it transfers to their wife and to their children. It changes things. It breaks the giants because men are known warriors. So that's the backbone of the family. That's the backbone. And as men, as men, we need to step up and step into our place. We teach our children how to throw a baseball. We teach our children how to ride a bike, how to kick soccer balls. We teach our children how to shoot guns, but do we teach them how to praise the Lord? I come from a praising family. I saw my daddy lifting his hands and praising God, and it did something to me. It changed me. I've seen my daddy do other things too, and I use that as an excuse to do other things. But when I saw him lift his hands and praise God, it changed something on the inside of me. So I just encourage you to be that backbone for your family. Be that strength. Be that warrior that doesn't keep his mouth shut. It was, I want to tell you a story. It was mid-afternoon in 1982 and Badger Stadium was filled with 60,000 fanatical fans. And they were watching their team on the home field, and they were losing. They were losing bad. Even though they home, had a home field advantage, it was obvious that the Badgers were going to lose to the Spartans. But the weird thing was, and this is a true story, Every time the Badgers would mess up, they would fumble the ball, they would make a mistake. The crowd started cheering. The crowd started jumping and shouting, and they were waving their hats. They would fumble the ball, and they would stand up, and it was confusing the team, and it was confusing the coaches, and it was confusing the fans. But every time they would do something wrong, their fans would stand up and cheer. But what was happening 70 miles away on that same day the Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in a game four of the 1982 World Series. And the fans had transistor radios to their ears. And they were cheering for the World Series. But I want you to see something here. They were the, 
They were watching defeat, but they were listening to victory in a greater arena. They were watching defeat, but they were listening to victory in a greater arena. We see victory and we shout, but we don't shout all the time because of victory because oftentimes we see more defeat in our lives than we see victory. A lot of times we see defeat in our kids' lives before we see victory in our kids' lives. But we have to tune in to the victory that's being held in a greater arena. We have to go by what we hear, not by what we see. The Bible says that we walk by faith, not by sight. It's by what we hear and not by what we see. And when Elijah, when Elijah's servant came down the mountain and said, there are troops all around us, Elijah prayed, God, open up his eyes and let him see what I'm seeing. So God opened up the servant of Elijah's and he seen the angels in fiery chariots, chariots coming down the mountains. And as the enemy was surrounding Elijah and his servant, Elijah's servant seen the angels that were surrounding the enemy. So we have to look at the victory that's going on in another arena and know that God has taken the giants out of our lives. And these giants are going to fall, even though it seems like that they're stopping us, even though it seems like that they're, they're defeating us. They're defeated in Jesus' name. In verse 25, verse 25, I'm sorry. In verse 25, David said, so the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills the king will enrich. Next verse. Will enrich with great riches. Will give him his daughter and give him his father's house exemption from all taxes in Israel. And David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What did he say? Wait, what a minute. David asked this three times. Three times. Notice that giant killers focus on the reward this is one thing that we have to focus on is the reward for following God the reward for staying in the battle the reward for staying in the process the reward for enduring and in verse 28 we're going to come back to talking about the reward keep that in your mind we're going to come back but I'm going to take a sidetrack we're going to chase a rabbit for a little while so now Eliab, the oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep that you had in the wilderness? I know your pride and insolence of heart, your naughty heart. For you have come down to see the battle. Isn't it that when we always get excited, when we always see that we're fixing to conquer a giant, that we have people around us that'll squash our dreams that'll that'll just trash what we fixing to do that'll try and bring us down and discourage us but I want you to know that it doesn't matter what people say about you it doesn't matter what people say about you it matters what God says about you and what you think about you that's what matters that's what's important it was never the giants that kept Israel out of the promised land it was the ten voices on the inside that kept Israel from trying to go into the promised land. It wasn't the giants. It was the ten spies that came back and gave the negative report. So what, what voices are you listening to? I had somebody tell me one time, quit speaking to the devil. I'm thinking, man, what is he talking about? I went up and got a word from God. and That was what he gave me, quit speaking to the devil. And I'm thinking, I hadn't been speaking to any devils. I don't know what he's talking about. But we will listen. We will, we will engage with thoughts. We will engage with conversations in our mind that we need to be casting down. We need to quit engaging and start casting down some of the thoughts that we have in our mind. Not dwelling on them, not entertaining them, not even pondering on them because they're not what God has. Donna says, the plans and purposes I have for you. Plans for good, not for evil. That's what God wants for us. So it doesn't matter. You're not defeated till you're defeated on the inside of you. 
That's when you become defeated. That's when we lose the game. When we're defeated. If God says the promised land is yours, then no giant, no trial, no test can keep you out of the promised land if you believe that. If you believe that. The Bible says, going back to the reward, that David asked three times, what, what do I get? What, what did he say? You know, what, what did they say? I get riches. I get the king's daughter. It was all about the reward. But here, here's the thing that I want you to see. We're told all kind of things about Goliath. We're told all kind of things about his armor. We're told all kind of things about the person who had to carry Goliath's armors. We're told that he had a coat of mail that, that weighed 166 pounds. We're told that just the point of his spear weighed 20 pounds alone. We were told all of these things about how many cubits he was and how big his bed was. All of this measurements. But I want to know about Saul's daughter. What about her measurements? What about the reward? I mean, what did Saul's daughter look like? He was pretty interested in that. Everything points to she was beautiful. But this is the thing. Sometimes the, the enemy will get our eyes off of the reward and let it, and it'll cause us to start focusing on the enemy, on the giant. Sometimes we know more about the giant than we know more about the reward. We know more about hell than we know about heaven. We know more about judgment than we know about praise. We know more about the problem than we know more than we know about God's provision. Sometimes I think hell took heaven right off of the table. And we know more, we focus more on not going to hell and what do we have to do not to go to hell than what we're going to get when we get to heaven. We have to focus on the reward. Giant killers focus on the reward. I want to tell you tonight that heaven is real. The, gold ro the roads of gold are real. The throne is real. The river that flows from the throne is real. Everything we're going to get is worth it. Heaven is worth it. The fight is worth it. The process is worth it. It's worth it. David realized it was worth it. It was worth it to fight against Goliath. In verse 34, 1 Samuel verse 34 says, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep, your servant used to keep, used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defiled the armies of the living God. David was saying that I've been the same in the dark as I am in the light. I've did what I did when no one seen it, and I'm going to do this right in the public. I fought the bear and the lion when nobody was watching, and I'm going to fight Goliath in front of everybody. It's one thing to fight when everybody's watching, but what about when nobody's watching? What about the giants that we fight in private? Those, those giants are just as hard to take down as the ones in public. And everybody has lions and lambs in their lot, not lions and lambs, lions and bears. Everybody has the lions and the bears in their life. It's the, it's the giants that nobody sees. But I want you to know tonight, there's nothing wrong with you. Because the enemy will say, look at you. Look at you have all of these problems. Look at you have all of these giants. Everybody has lions and, and bears. Lions and bears. I keep wanting to say lions and lambs. Everybody has the lions and the bears. If we're going to be a giant killer... You see, the lion and the bear was David's personal battles. 
but Goliath was his public battles. And a lot of times, God will wait to see how we handle the personal battles before he allows us to face the public battles. God taught something to David with the lion and the bear, and it was revealed to the public through Goliath. David said, I'm sure David said in his heart, the same God that gave me the bare head on my barn and the lion rug in front of my fireplace is going to give me this Philistine's head today. David said, the same God that gave me the bear on my barn wall and the lion rug in front of my fireplace is going to give me this uncircumcised Philistine's head today uncircumcised philistines why did he say uncircumcised philistines he was bible cussing he was bible cussing if you go to the grocery store into the parking lot and somebody cuts out in front of you and you want to biblically curse them out just roll down the window and say you uncircumcised philistine i'm just kidding don't do that pray for him but what david was saying what was he saying you see circumcision was a sign of the flesh of the covenant it was a sign on the Israelites' flesh of the covenant of God. It was a mark of the covenant. Because under the new covenant, in heaven, where Jesus is, where he was beaten, crucified, died, and resurrected, he's standing there with the same scars. Jesus was never healed. He still has the marks of the covenant, of the new covenant. Circumcision was the mark of the old covenant. Jesus has the marks of the new covenant because he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement for my peace was upon him and he will stand for eternity in front of the throne of God with the scars of the new covenant that he bore for us. For us. David was saying he's unfit. He's uncircumcised. This was a powerful statement that David made. Because what David was saying was, I'm of the Israelites. I was circumcised at eight days old. At eight days old, I was in covenant with the Almighty God. And at eight days old, I was more powerful than this giant. At eight days old, I was more powerful than this giant. That's what David was saying. That's what we need to get in our heart. Because we're under covenant. We're covenant people. Jesus paid a price for us to be in covenant with him. So if David at eight days old was more powerful than in the giant, the uncircumcised Philistine, there's no giant standing in front of us that's more powerful than the Son of God who gave his life for us. Yeah. I love the fact that David said, I fought the bear and the lion. I fought the bear and the lion. You see, a giant killer sees his trials, his tests, his troubles as training. He sees his trials as training, not as trouble. That's the mentality of a giant killer. Sometimes we have to realize that it takes trials, tests, troubles in our own life to make us into what God wants us to be. In New Zealand, 41% of the birds in New Zealand can't, fl can't fly. They're flightless. New Zealand's an island. But on New Zealand, there's no predators. There's no foxes. There's no bears. There's no alligators. There's nothing that would make that bird want to fly and take flight off of the New Zealand. In New Zealand, you could sleep in a sleeping bag in a forest, and no bear's going to try and eat you. No predator's going to try and get you. You're totally safe because there's no predators. So if you're facing opposition, if you're facing what you feel as predators, if it feels like all hell is coming against you, God is saying it's not time to quit. It's not time to give up. He said, I'm fixing to take you to a higher place. I'm fixing to take you to a higher level. Because giant killers see trials not as trouble but as training. Look at your neighbor and say, God's training you to go to a higher level. In verse 39, in verse 39, David 
approached Saul and he gave him his armor. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. David said, Saul, I can't even walk with these. I can't run. I can't walk. I can't fight. This isn't going to work. He said, David, Saul said, here, have my armor, but I'm not going. Have my armor, but I'm not going to battle. You can go. You be me is basically what Saul was saying. And David couldn't walk because the armor wasn't designed for him. The armor wasn't made for him. It was made for Saul. You see, a giant killer has to be himself. We can't be other people. That armor was made for Saul. So David said, Saul, I appreciate the armor, but I have to be myself. So he took the armor off. And then he was able to run. He was able to move. He was able to fight because he was himself. For me, this was big because of the giant of intimidation. I always compared myself to other people. I always said I could never do that. I could never be that person. I could never fill those shoes. I couldn't do it. So there was a, a giant of intimidation and a giant of fear that stopped me from walking into my calling to moving into my ministry at the appointed time that God had called me. And I had to face those giants and fight those giants. And when we realize, when we realize who we are and who he is there's no giant in this world that'll be able to stop us but it takes us coming to that realization that we can't be that person we have to be ourselves. so God used my little rock and my little slingshot but with the anointing of God giants fall and God will do the same thing for you we have to be ourself somebody in here needed to hear that tonight we just need to be ourself. I'm preaching to somebody tonight. I love the fact that the Bible says that David took five stones. Everybody wants to know why did David take five stones. I've heard sermon after sermon about why David took five stones. David took five stones because of Goliath's four brothers. So if he killed Goliath and the other ones can't know... David took five stones because it stands for J-E-S-U-S. -S. No. Why did David take five stones? I'll tell you my opinion. I think he thought because he might miss. Because you see, giant killers don't stop at the first one. Giant killers do what it takes to take. Giant killers do, do what it takes to take the giant down. But I want to ask you. How many rocks do you have in your bag? How many rocks are you going to stop at the first rock? Because you see, we pray against the giant, and the giant starts to slow down, and he starts to sway, but sometimes he doesn't fall. So then what? So then we fast. That's the second rock. We grab another rock, and we start fasting, and now the giant's starting to stagger, but maybe he doesn't fall. So then we get our brother with us. We, we get Chris with us. Brother, stand in agreement with me. So now maybe with, with me praying and me fasting and the third rock of my brother standing in the gap with me, the giant falls. But maybe then I fall again. I fall back into the same sin. I fall back. So then I, I don't stop there. We don't stop. We get back up. And then we come to the altar call and we let somebody lay hands and anoint us with oil for the healing or whatever we need, whatever we're fighting against. We don't stop at the first rock. That's why David took five rocks. It wasn't for his four brothers. It wasn't because it stood for Jesus. It was because he was determined to kill that giant with whatever it took to kill that giant because he was a giant killer. Most men fail not because of lack of education, not because of lack of talent or opportunity. Most men fail because lack of determination. Most men fail because of lack of determination. And I say men, I mean men and women. Sometimes we have to pray one more time. Sometimes we have to fast one more time. Sometimes we have to come up to the altar just one more time. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop. There's no season for giving up in the Bible. There's 28 seasons in Ecclesiastics chapter 3, but there's no season for giving up. Don't give up. Giant slayers will not stop until they win. 
God will work with anything you give him. It may be a, a small rock. It wasn't the size of the rock. It wasn't the shape of the rock. It wasn't the weight of the rock. The rock didn't have to have any sharp points on it. God will work with whatever you give him. Just give it to him. Give him your time. Give him your thoughts. Give him your energy. Give him prayer time. Give him devotional. Read about him. If you're not hearing the word of, if you're not hearing God's voice, read the word of God. Read the word of God and pray, and you'll begin to hear God's voice in your life. We stop sometimes before the game is over. I don't know if anybody watched the Saints play last week. I was in Texas, and they were playing the Houston Texans. So I, the Houston Texans, so I knew I better watch because if not, when I got to work, I was going to get ragged about it. So I was watching, and I told Donna, I said, I ought to just set my alarm clock for the last two minutes because I know they're going to do something stupid in the last two minutes and lose the game. So sure enough, I watched the game. Last two minutes, they threw an interception. The other team went down, made a touchdown. Everybody started celebrating. Everybody knew the Saints had lost the game. I think the other team's band was probably walking out onto the field. They had 37 seconds left, and we had possession of the ball. And we drove down, and we kicked a 58-yard field goal and won the game. And won the game. Saints, Saints, I'm telling you, the game is not over. And if we still have time on the clock, and we have possession of the ball, the game is not over. Tell the band to get off the field. I'm wrapping it up because LSU's playing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do want to end this a little different out of a story in the Old Testament that I thought was so amazing. It's a story found in Amos chapter 3. Amos chapter 3 says, I saw a lion attack a lamb. And this is powerful. He says, I saw a lion attack a lamb. And he said, the only thing left of the lamb was his leg and part of an ear. Me as a pastor, if I see one of my flock and the only thing left is a leg and a part of an ear, I'm going to think that's pretty bad. That's a problem. But Amos said the great shepherd saw that he had a lamb in his mouth with just a leg hanging out and part of an ear. And the great shepherd said, I'm going to take that because that's worth taking. So he went and he attacked the lion and he fought and he took out the lamb because it was his to take back. And God spoke to me about that. He said, as long as he's got a leg to stand on in faith, and an ear to hear what I'm saying, as long as he's got a leg to stand on in faith and an ear to hear what I'm saying, he can get it all back. He can get it all back. He can get, God can restore the years that the canker worms stole and that the locusts have taken. God's a redeemer of time. God restores everything that the enemy has taken. The giants may seem to have won. We may seem to be defeated, but God is, will make us victorious. The giants have to fall. There's no giant that's taken so much from you that God can't restore. The years, the things, the people, the relationships, the money, houses, Material possessions, jobs, opportunities, God can give you all of that back. As long as there's time on the clock and we have possession of the ball, the game is not over yet. The game is not over yet. I want you to lift up your voice and say after me, God, I want my victory. It's not over. I'm a giant slayer. I'm determined. I'm disciplined. I'm submitted. I'm submitted. I will win personal and public battles against giants. Praise you, Lord. With every head bowed, let's pray. Praise you, Lord God.
If you would say in your heart tonight, I know I'm not right with God. I know that I'm called to higher things in my life. I'm tired of this struggle. I'm tired of the giants in my life. I'm tired of feeling defeated. I'm tired of struggling. I know that your plans and purposes for me are for better. But Lord, I'm tired of fighting these battles. There's got to be more that than what I'm doing with my life. I want you to know that tonight you're in a safe environment. You're around brothers and sisters that have fought the same giants that you're facing. And they can say that God's done it for me. He'll do it for you too. There's no difference. We're here to encourage and we're here to be encouraged giant of addiction, the giant of depression, the giant of debt, the giant of defeat, the giant of marital issues, giant of porn, giant of fear, giant that's stolen dreams. Tonight's our night. Tonight's the night that we take the ball and we kick the 58-yard field goal because there's still time on the clock and we have possession of the ball. We're covenant people. We're covenant people. 2,000 years ago, Jesus took it on the cross for us so that we can have victory over any, any enemy that would come against us. We are more than overcomers. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. It's time tonight for another giant to fall in your life. It's time tonight. You may be saying, Pastor, you're talking to me. I know that I'm not right. I know that I'm fighting these giants. I promise I won't embarrass you or humiliate you. Giants of sin, addiction, shame, guilt, condemnation fall tonight in the name of Jesus. While I'm praying, I want you to just pray where you are. And as you begin to open your mouth, as you begin to pray against the, the things in your life, Giants will begin to fall. I'm seeing chains broken right now. I'm seeing chains falling. There was a story in the Bible that the angel appeared to Peter as he was in jail. And he struck him in the side and he says, rise up. And he grabbed him and he picked him up. And as he rose up, the Bible says the chains fell off of his hands and feet. As we rise up and stand against these giants, the chains of addiction, the chains of depression, the chains of debt, the chains of the struggle are falling off tonight. Tonight, tonight is your night. Tonight is your night. Kubo shundo robo sandarabasata. As you pray, as you pray, chains are beginning to fall. You're not only praying for yourself. I want you to pray for the person to your left and to your right. I want you to pray for your children. Because these giants, if we don't get the giants out the promised land, they're going to come after our children and our children's children. And we're going to break this tonight. It's not going to be something that's going to affect our children. It will not be something to affect our grandchildren and the generations to come from our loins. We bind you tonight, Satan, in the name of Jesus. We break the enemy's hole. We command these giants to fall in the name of Jesus. Satan, you loose your hold over the congregation of everybody here under the word tonight. Jesus, we thank you for releasing us. We thank you for that we are victorious, that we are more than enough. We are more than conquerors because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Lord, we thank you for loosening the enemy's hold on us, for loosening his grip. Lord, and we just thank you that we're cutting him low and he's going to fall face first and hard and he'll have no more impact and no more hold on our life. We're going to begin to walk in your ways. We're going to begin to respect authority. We're going to begin to repent. We're going to begin to do right in the guise of God, eyes of God and the eyes of man. Because, Lord God, we know that this is what you've called us to do. This is who you've called us to be. You've called us to another level. You've called us to a life of abundancy. And we take that life back because it was promised to us. 
John 10.10 says, The thief cometh to kill and to steal and to destroy. But I have come that they have life and have it more abundantly. And Lord, we claim that promise over us and over our children and grandchildren tonight in the name of Jesus. No longer will we submit. No longer will we struggle. No longer will we, will we talk and converse the thoughts that come to us, but we cast them down in the name of Jesus. And we plead the blood of Jesus over everyone here tonight every person under the sound of my voice we plead the blood of Jesus's protection and blessings and favor to them and to their family as they walk in the newness of life because these chains are broken in the name of Jesus they are broken tonight in Jesus name in Jesus name I know everybody in here and I know everybody in here is saved and I know everybody in here, if they die tonight, they'll probably go to heaven. But I want you to know that I'm here if you want to pray. I'm here if you want to talk after service. If you want prayer for something special, something I didn't talk about tonight while I preached. If, you, if you're unsure of your salvation and don't know that if you die tonight, you'll make it to heaven. I'm here and I want to pray for you. I'm going to close right here. But I want you to know that you've overcome these giants. That the chains are broken tonight. You no longer have to submit. You get a heavenly perspective and see that giant from the perspective of God. And see him that they're not 15 foot tall. They're small in the eyes of God. And God can take them out of your life in an instant. In an instant. It all comes from the heart. You just have to want it. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, I thank you that everybody's here tonight. I thank you that they go home safe. I thank you that this word, Lord, changes lives, that they begin to apply it to their lives. And because of this, that fruit comes, fruits of righteousness come in their life, and they begin to walk in favor and blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.